I'm looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. Let me read a scripture, which then I'm going to leave and come back to a little later in our time together. The scripture is Acts 3, verse 19 through 20. Use whatever version you want to use. Here is the word. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Hold that verse there. I promise I'll come back to it. But I want to use and offer to you an illustration that the Lord used, a method that the Lord used with me years ago to help expand my understanding of who he is. And when I, when I do that, when I set that up today, I think you're going to see not only how it fits into what we're talking about in the Word, but how it fits where we are in our time and in our generation. I fly a lot. I mean, I fly a lot. And I fly a certain airline. Like most people today, you got your favorite airline. So for years and years and years, I have been, you know, making reservations and getting the little text or the app, you know, the indication on the app and getting on the airplane and flying and listening to the talks and eating the same crackers or eating the same almonds or having the same Diet Coke in the same cup with the same kind of lemon over and over and over and over and over. And some of you who travel a lot know what I'm talking about. But it gets weird with me, as my wife will tell you. I know when the flight attendant has left some words out of the presentation, and I comment to her. She didn't get that right. I can help her. I mean, that's the kind of thing I'll say. I know when the Diet Coke is not coming, when it should have come. I'm not one of those gripey passengers. I just know. I know when the pilot says that we are flying from Minnesota when we're sitting at DCA. You know, they do that sometimes. I'm just saying I catch all that stuff. I'm aware of all that stuff. And I know how the authority, how the rules, how the plan, how the pattern, how the structure works within my airline. I know who's going to get called to board when. I know where to put my stuff. I know how to say hi. I know where the flight attendant should be standing because that's where they always stand. They've stood there when I've gotten on a plane 10,000 times. I know what it's like. I know what that structure ought to be like. I know how to sit in the plane. I know how to put on my Bose headphones before anybody talks to me. You understand what I'm saying? I know how to walk through the whole thing. It's just because over and over, this is the way it works. You don't do this, you don't do that. You do this this way, then you do that. Get out of the aisle, please. Please turn your luggage up like bookends. And I, I can know it all. I can do the entire presentation. Please cover your own mouth before you attempt to put the mask upon a child. On and on and on. I can bore you to death. My wife has tried to schedule an intervention because I'm so weird about it. I know it. I just heard it a thousand times. This is what it means to get on this airline. <coughs> Excuse me. This is what it means to get on this airline, work this way. It's got a pattern. It's got a rhythm. It's got a structure. It's got an authority. You follow what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. You have things just like that. You have places you go or you fly or you work in a company or you got a security system where you work or whatever, and it's the same thing all the time. And within that structure, in that place, this is what rules. 
This is what rules. My airline's Delta. I'm not advertising. I, this is best out of Nashville and DCA. So Delta rules my life when I'm on that plane. What it says, how it talks. I, I, I kind of look forward when, when the president of the company comes on the screen to give that little talk. Hey, there's Ed, my old buddy. I've never met Ed in my entire life. But you understand that Ed is a guy I see about every 36 hours in my life. So this is that authority, this is that rule, this is that pattern, this is that plan. All of you have something like that. If you go to a university, there are patterns, there are plans, there are processes, there are ways to use the library, there's a security code, there's your past, there's your whatever. It's, it's, we all have it. We all have it. It can be as micro as how our car operates. It can be as macro as how you're working in a, within an airline. It can be as macro as your role in the military and all the processes and things you have to do. And what happens is, that we get used to life being like that. That there's a certain rule, there's a certain system. It's almost automatic, it's impersonal. It just runs that way. Now let me tell you what happened to me years ago that began to change uh, that understanding when I applied this to God. Because for the first time in my life, and don't think I'm any big deal, but for the first time in my life, I had because of business to get on a private plane. And I thought, well, that'll just be a smaller version of, the, of what goes on in the airlines, right? Rules, authorities, structures, same stuff, just smaller. No. The day before the plane's supposed to come, I'm supposed to get on the plane, let's say the owner of this plane was Joe. That's not him. Let's just say it was Joe. And so Joe's assistant called me and said, do you have any questions? And I said, yes. When does the plane leave? He said, Joe, the plane will leave when Joe gets there. Now, you understand, I've spent a lot of my life orchestrating down to the minute of when the plane leaves. My airline sends me texts six months in advance when they adjust the time of a plane departure by two minutes. But this guy says, Get there, be there between one and four. That's what, that's, I'm not kidding, that's what they said. Get there between one and four. One and four? I wanted to rebuke him. There's no system to this. Where's the, pro, where's the process? Where's the rule? Where's the, yeah, Joe will get there sometime between one and four. Because you understand, it's Joe's plane. All right, so we keep on going. Uh, what, what would you like to drink? This person asked. Well, God's drink, Diet Coke with lime. There is nothing else. Am I wrong? Diet Coke with lime. Well, Joe doesn't drink diet soft drinks. Oh, really? What does Joe drink, I said, trying to drain all sarcasm out of my mouth? Well, sparkling waters and juices. Oh. So I, sparkling water's fine. I want to get on the plane. Okay? Then, this went on again. Yeah, what would you like to eat? Well, pretty much any kind of meat is fine. Well, I heard the sound over the phone. Joe is a vegetarian. Really? So he worships demons. Okay, that's fine. I'm just playing. That's my own little carnivore thing. What does Joe eat? Now I'm starting to get nervous. Well, you know, kale salad. Oh, my God. But he does have some Oreos for you. Now, all my friends know that Oreos are kind of a special thing to me, and they show me that Jesus loves me. So Joe had shown me special grace by putting Oreos on the plane for me. I didn't tell my wife, but it was awesome that those Oreos were there. Then I asked, 
uh, will so-and-so, let's call him George, it wasn't, but let's, it was George going to be on the plane. No, he and Joe, this is what I was told, had a, Joe, uh, George was a journalist. No, he and George, Joe and George have had a falling out, so George won't be getting on the plane. So you have to be in right relationship with Joe to get on the plane, which is why I wasn't going to say anything more about the kale. You understand what I'm saying? Now, before this was all over, this went on for a long time, you began to realize that this was Joe's world. This is Joe's plane. You knew that because the steps had his name on them. You get on the plane, it's his food, it's his style, it leaves when he gets here. It's his plane, and Joe can do what he wants. Now, my point here in this little analogy is not to pick on Joe and talk about how tyrannical he was with the kale, or to pick on my favorite airline, Delta, or whatever airline you fly, and say that they're bad. My point is to say that we make a mistake in our thinking about God. We live constantly in kind of an airline structured, uh, ruled by certain patterns and authorities kind of world, and we assume that all things submit to those rules and, and that structure and those patterns and, and, and those signs and, and all the things that regulate our lives. And we forget something that we were singing this morning. And that is that the earth and the fullness thereof belong to God. All things were created by him and for him, and his job description is to do whatever he wants. Now, there are about half the number of people in here. There usually are. You've got to make twice the noise. So the folks on TV know we're, we're, we're working together. I want you to think about the fact that when we're sitting on our couches, when we're living through coronavirus, when we're living through a tough political season, when we're living through difficult world circumstances, when we're living through tough econ economic situations, when you're living through your personal circumstances that may be difficult, you assume that you are subject to rules and dominations and authorities and structures and, and, and patterns and things that govern this world. And what we forget is that God is greater than coronavirus, that God is greater than economic troubles, that God is greater than what's going on in D.C., that God is greater than the sickness that might be besetting somebody in your family, that God is outside of it all. This is important for us to remember. God is outside of it all. He's greater than it all. He's more powerful than all of it. He, his word holds the cells of your body together. What you call gravity is God having spoken that stuff should stick to the earth. Let the scientists call it gravity. I want my pilot to understand the rules of gravity. You understand what I'm saying? But I know theologically that the thing that brings my 300 pounds back down to this stage, thank you, Jesus, standing up, is that God has spoken his word and is holding this world together. You know, see what I mean? And he can break the rules anytime he wants to. That's what's called a miracle. And when we forget that, when we forget that he's outside of the rules and outside of the systems and outside of the situations that we think we are bound by, then it's a thing called faith that gets weaker. Because what we have to do is keep our eyes on who he is and how powerful he is. 
That's what keeps the faith going. That's what keeps our eyes on him. That's what keeps us ready for what is coming next. Hold that thought. That's what keeps us ready for what is coming next. So I'm on that private plane some years ago, and Joe just gets an idea to do something, and he picks up a phone built into his seat. I was jealous. Calls the pilot. Say, he basically says, let's go there. They call in an alternate flight plan, and the next thing I know, like I'm pinned to the roof while the plane is turning, and I don't know, going to pick up ice cream in Houston. I can't remember what we did, but, but suddenly... The rules are broken. Something wild and dramatic and different is happening. And that's what we mean when we sing, how great is our God. We don't mean he's a well-behaved, polite little teddy bear of a God. We mean he's beyond all this stuff. You know what the word holy means? When you say he's a holy God, he's holy, it means other. Other and beyond. It may be super, maybe something else, but it means other. Completely different, completely outside, completely beyond. And I was reading Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk this past week, and the prophet Habakkuk calls God my holy one. I love that. I'm intimate with you, my holy one, but you are other. You are Beyond, And I know it's hard to do when you are sitting on your couch and you are keeping a mask on your face and you are washing your hands 9,000 stinking times in a day and bumping elbows and sanitizing everything and everything's kind of shrunk down into a little bit of micro. I know it's hard to lift our eyes and say, God, you are other, but he is. He owns this whole shooting match. He's beyond what we're dealing with. And he's about to do some awesome things. What we need is a brief journey just during the time I'm talking of what the Israelites went through in the ancient world. Because you got to realize that in the ancient world, when the Israelites were in slavery, they spent 400 years in slavery, generation after generation after generation. And then God... He, did, he, he allowed that for a purpose. But then God had to take a people who had been slaves and he had to remind them of who he was. That's what's going on here. So he has to say, I am the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. And I'm about to act. Get right with me. And by the way, that's what the Passover was in the ancient world. Guys, I'm about to do something. Put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. Remember that story? Sacrifice the lamb, put, him on, put the blood on your doorpost. And then what do they spend the next days doing? Get the leaven, symbolic of sin, out of your house. Get rightly related to me. Get the sin out of your house. I'm about to do some stuff. So the beginning was get rightly related with the Holy One. Get rightly related with God. And they did it. They, they did it. They were happy to do it. Then God began to show off. I think God likes, not in a vain and immoral way, he's God, he wouldn't do that. But I think God likes to show off. He likes to remind us when we get down here in our little ant-like experience, he likes to remind us how awesome he is. So look what happens. What is God demonstrating in the days before the Passover and during the Passover? I'll tell you what. 
I'm greater than the frogs. I'm greater than the cattle. I'm greater than the firstborn. I'm greater than waters. I can turn waters into blood. Fine with me. I can cause plagues if you displease me. That's how awesome I am. Why? Because I am the God of what you call nature. I created it. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to work here until we get an expansion on the inside. That's where we're going. I created it. I can cause darkness to happen. I know you're used to day and night and day and night and day and night. I'll make it night all the time. Watch. Tick me off again. Go ahead. Tick me off. Let's see what happens. Because I got other things I can do. I'll make it day all the time. And then I'll make it like it's been in Nashville, Tennessee in the last few weeks. Hotter than the frying pan of hell. That was just my commentary. That wasn't God. I feel free to interject into God's word, whatever opinions I happen to have about Oreos and Delta and stuff. What was the Lord doing? Then, then the Lord takes them out of the Passover, finally leads them out. What does he do? I'm so great, I can stop waters from flowing. Watch me. I'm going to cause waters to stack up like skyscrapers. They wouldn't have known what that was. Stack up like cliffs while you go by. Just watch. And then he does it. And they're amazed because all they've seen for centuries is the water's flowing and the water's flowing. But all God has to do is show his otherness, show his awesomeness, show, show them that it's his plane, and suddenly the waters stop. Birds fall from the air. Rocks that have been dry and dead get struck by a stick. And when God wants it, that rock spews water. You got me? I mean, whatever God wants to happen. If God had, had wanted to use more of a sense of humor, we'd had some wild stuff in the scriptures. You know? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was thinking that. He thought, well, maybe we ought not go that far. Because theologically liberal scholars will not believe a future in the future when they're talking about the Bible or whatever. I don't know what he's... But my point is, God was demonstrating that he was other. But what he had to do, picture this now, because he has to do it in us. He had to take a people who had been under, under an oppressive system for hundreds of years and begin to show them that that system did not rule reality. I rule, he was saying. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of governments. I'll turn Pharaoh's heart. I'll wipe out his troops, powerful as they may be, if I have to. I'll stop waters. I'll call, cause bread to appear without you even having to work on it. We'll call it manna. I'll call, cause pheasants, quail, to drop from the sky. I, I'll do these things, and I haven't even really gotten started. I'm just showing you. I want to remind you of who your God is, because for 400 years, quite understandably, you have forgotten. I'm other. I'm God. It's my universe. I'm, you call me the Lord God, uh, Lord God of heaven and earth for a reason. Consider the journey that the children of Israel still had to be on. And I haven't forgotten where we are in Acts 3, but I'm going to bring us back to it. Consider that when they went into the wilderness, that God continually had to show them that he ruled. He shook the ground. He set mountains on fire. He provided food from, from the empty air. He, he, he caused food they kept beyond when they were supposed to keep it to suddenly turn to maggots and go bad, beyond the processes they'd normally seen. Shouldn't have happened that fast. Happened overnight. Why? Because he was showing that he rules. I'm in charge. I run this show. 
Get your eyes back on me. Get ready for me to do amazing things. And then what happened? As they started to go into the promised land, this is the Israelites who have come through Passover, come through the wilderness, going into the promised land. They began to run into tribes that wanted to explain what was going on with regional gods. This is what Israel confronted all the time. They would go and they would confront the Canaanite people, and the Canaanite people worshiped a God. We, could, we say it in English, Baal, but it was actually Baal, doesn't matter, but it was Baal. And so, and so they, 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 they would worship this God so they'd get a good harvest. And if the, if the people of Israel started to kind of lose their grasp on God, lose their vision of God, what would happen? They'd start to agree a little bit, well, maybe Baal does control the harvest in this area. And God would do something dramatic to say, no, these gods are no gods at all. I am the ruler, Lord God of heaven and earth. I determine the harvest. I bless you coming in and going out. Get right with me, and I will determine your reality. You see what he was doing. Then you got people who are fisher people, fishermen. And they had a God over there with the Philistines called Dagon. And he looked like a, you know, he looked like a, you know, a mermaid. He had a fishtail. And you remember what happened. Whenever they put the Ark of the Covenant there, he fell down into the, door, into the doorway. You see what the Israel had to go through. Time and again, God had to show up and he had to say, I am greater than this. I'm greater than these gods. I'm greater than Molech. I'm greater than Dagon. I'm greater than these other gods. I'm greater than Baal. And he's teaching Israel, you've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten that I am the great and the almighty. And I won't take the time to go through it but I, because I wanted to establish this clearly. But where I really love it, I love the book of Job. And I love it in Job that after 38 chapters of Job's idiot friends giving him bad advice because of what he's experienced, God shows up and he shows up the same way he's showing up to Israel and the same way he wants to show up to us now. I'll read it briefly and then I'll get back to Acts chapter 3. Job's friends have been given chapter after chapter after chapter of stupid advice, and finally God shows up. Here's what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I'm sorry. Were you there and I missed you? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off dimensions? Surely you know. He's being sarcastic. Who stretched a measuring line across the sky? On what were its footings set or its cornerstones? And he goes on. For chapters, I'm sorry, did you tell the horse how to run? Because I thought I did. Shut up. Did, did you? That, that's what the Hebrew word means. Then be silent. Did, I'm, I, you thought I was cussing. No, I'm telling you, that's what the Hebrew word is. Did you teach the ocean how to come just so far but not too much further? Did, you didn't, did you teach the coney how to move on, on, on the rocks? Did, did you fling the stars in the sky? Then shut up, because I'm the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth. You see, you see the vision? You see how it's expanding? Here's Job suffering, got these idiot friends. 38 chapters finally says, I'm sorry, excuse me. Did you speak the worlds into being? Then you aren't qualified to speak. So what we need is to remember that it's God's plane, that it's God's earth, that it's God's heaven, that it's all honor to those who serve us in D.C., but they ain't in charge. All honor to the medical community. Don't hear me saying anything weird, but ultimately, God rules and science does his bidding. You follow what I'm saying? 
Everything does his bidding. Everything serves his purposes. He's beyond all of it, and he may sleep or he may sit still for a while to let some processes work naturally, and then he rouses himself and he does mighty things. And that brings us back to Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 in my final minutes here, which are going to be more than the final minutes I was allowed. So somebody tackle Pastor Brett and yank the clock off the wall before I keep going. Because you see, what's going on in Acts chapter 3 is a replaying of what had happened early in Israel's history. Peter has just healed someone. The day of Pentecost was in the chapter before. There's a new day coming for Israel. They've been living under the law. They've been hoping God would move. They've, they've dismissed Jesus. Now they're starting to think, well, maybe he was the Messiah. Peter heals a guy, displays the kingdom, finally turns to the people of Israel and says, God is about to do awesome things. Repent. Turn to him. And watch what he'll do. Let's work through this verse very quickly. Repent then and turn to God. The word repent there is, is metanoia in Greek. It means change your mind. That's what it means. Meta, change, noia, mind. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Change your thinking so that you change your life. That's what the Passover was about. Get the sin out of your life. Change your thinking. Change your view of God. That's what we've got to do. Whatever needs changing about your thinking, attack it. Get on it. Go after it. Part of what we're doing right here in this sermon is saying, hey, we may have been shrunk a little bit in our thinking. We may have been reduced a little bit. We may be so much about the mask and the couch and the food and the family life. And I understand it. I get it. I'm living in it too. I got people, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. But it can shrink us just a little bit in terms of our vision of God. And every so often, God may have to go, excuse me, I'm up here. I'm running this whole thing. I may use a process for a season, but I'm doing magnificent things. Get ready. Repent. And by the way, repentance is not just about changing your mind on your own. Repentance is about turning to God. I love the fact that this verse separates the two. Repent, it says, and turn to God. Now, the Greek there indicates return to God expectantly. And this is what I love. Because it doesn't mean just turn to God and go, okay, what did I do now? You know, that kind of thing, like a kid in trouble. Like Corey was all the time, always in trouble. <laughs> okay, what did I do, Dad? All right, all right, just spank me, let's get it over. No, that's not it. Return to God expectantly. Repent and turn to God expectantly. L listen, listen to some of these phrases from the Old Testament that capture that moment in that verse because that verse is a replaying of a pattern that's happened in biblical history. Just, you, don't have, you can just jot it down. We're not going to turn there. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 12, it says, We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Even rhymes in English. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, do you? I don't know what to do. I'm a creature. I'm not God. I don't know what to do about the mess in D.C., and I don't know what to do about coronavirus, and I don't know what to do about international situations, and I don't know what to do about Israel, and I don't know what to do about the Kurds, and I don't know what to do about this, and I don't know what to do about that. But let me tell you what. I have repented. I have sent away my sins, and I'm fixing my eyes on God expectantly. In fact, in Psalm 119, the psalmist literally says, it is time for you to act. It is time for you to act. That's the expectant attitude that we put as we fix our gaze on the Lord. If we'll do that, it says in a third step, our sins will be obliterated. That's the Hebrew, Greek word. Our sins will be obliterated. I want my sins obliterated, don't you? I don't want anything between God and me. I don't want anything between me and the Holy One. 
And yeah, I'm not out murdering people, but I, I have attitudes. I have things I do. I have lies I tell. I have ways I shade the truth. I have what we, what we sometimes call minor sins. The Catholic Church calls them menial sins. I don't want menial, moral, or any other kind of sin between me and God because he's about to act. And I want to be on his plane when he does. You understand the illustration? I want to be in right relationship with him when he rises up and overthrows his enemies. And then it says this, and this is what I love. You read it in your Bible as times of refreshing will come from the presence of God. It's a word that means to be able to breathe again, but it's a legal term in the original Greek. And it means to restore what has been lost. Come on. To restore what has been lost. If you will repent and humble yourselves and fix your eyes on God, your sins will be obliterated and times of restoration of what has been lost will be given to you. Could I get even a squeaky amen on that one? Come on. Has stuff been lost? Has stuff been taken from us? Has stuff been stolen from us? I'm not just talking about in the last four months. I'm talking about in our lives. I'm talking about in the kingdom. I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about, about as a people. I'm talking about as the heritage of the righteous on earth. Things have been stolen. What's the path to getting them back? Repent. Turn to God expectantly. Your sins will be blotted out. And times of restoration will come from the presence of the Lord. And then this is what is exciting. The Bible says that God will send Jesus. Now, wait a minute. He'd already sent Jesus here in the story, Acts 3. Jesus has already come, already been crucified, already been resurrected. He's going to send him again. He's going to send him in his spirit. He's going to send him in power. And I like the way it says it in the verse. Look at it if you have your Bible open. It says, who has been appointed for you. That's a, that's a special little, little section there for specific purposes. I'm going to send Jesus in general, but also for appointed and specific purposes. You see, Telus needs purposes from Jesus that I don't need, but I got needs from Jesus that he doesn't have. So we both need Jesus in a general sense. We need all the Jesus we can get. But then he needs Jesus in specific ways I don't know about. I need Jesus in specific ways Telus doesn't know about. You have to buy me lunch to find out. <laughs> Pastor Brett, who, given what he carries, he's got needs, he needs Jesus. It's, that's what it says. Yeah. Appointed means purposed. Yeah. He needs Jesus coming just like I need Jesus coming. And then he needs the Brett Fuller Jesus package. You follow it? It comes on the back end of repentance. It comes on the back end. A boom, having your eyes open and realizing what we were singing. How great is our God? Come on. How great is our God? We're not living there in postage stamp experiences on the couch. You may have to live on the couch a while longer, but that doesn't mean that your heart has to be on the couch. That doesn't mean you've got to live a postage stamp experience in your thinking because our God is other. He's beyond this stuff. It's his universe. And he may be allowing this for a while, but he's not only going to arise and restore, then he's going to come in purposeful packages, in purposeful ways. This is the good news of the gospel for you today. And I'm going to close here in a moment. This is the good news of the gospel. Your God is not as small as perhaps he has felt in your experience in the last four to five months. Your God is greater and beyond. Repent. I say that happily. Happily repent. Happily get the leaven out of your house like the Jews of old. Happily remove the sin. 
and fix your eyes on God. And he is going to give you times of restoration of what has been lost. You've wept in your house, in your private place, for what's been lost. He heard you, and he's going to restore it. He's going to restore it. And he's going to bring Jesus, and he's going to bring Jesus in power in the same way he brings him to all of us. But he's going to bring what I can only call, and this is me being T.D. Jakes, he can only bring purpose packages. Okay? Now, see, if T.D. takes that and turns it into a teaching series, I want the royalties. Purpose package. Purpose package. Purpose package for TELUS. Unique grace, unique healing, unique restoration. He needs that Bev doesn't need. Bev needs what Brett doesn't need. Brett needs, uh, uh, Corey just needs so much Jesus has been. And, and then, and it just goes on. You follow what I'm saying? One final thought. I know I've gone long. I want to tell you that this verse we're looking at and this pattern that we're looking at where God allows things to go quiet reminds his people who he is, teaches them to get right with him through repentance, and then demonstrates his power as he delivers them. This leads to the patterns of revival and renewal that we have, not just in American history, but in world history. If you were to ask me what's coming next, if you were to ask me what I expect, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but if you're going to ask me based on my study of history, what's coming next? A great revival. A great outpouring of the Spirit. I'm not, I'm, I'm not selling, selling material here. I don't have a book on this. Before there was the French Revolution and the American colonial period, a revival followed. American Revolution, a revival followed. Before the American Civil War, as a revival of repentance and avoidance, and after the American Civil War, revival happened. Restoration, outpourings of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, miracles. Maybe, maybe your textbooks didn't tell it. Let me tell you it's true. After the American Civil War, all kinds of holiness revivals and renewals, right up to, the, to, the, to World War I, right before World War I, one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit uh, ever at Azusa Street, led by a legally blind black man named William Seymour. I'm telling you, it was powerful. We went through the World War I. Then we had more revivals during the 1930s. We had World War II. After World War II, we had the latter rain revivals, and we had the charismatic revivals, which, by the way, you are all children and grandchildren in, given Brett's history and the history of every nation and the people who mentored these guys. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Every time there's something horrible that happens, God uses it to awaken his people. And then he says, remember who I am. I like doing that in the Lion King way. Remember who I am. <laughs> remember who I am. Remember who I am. And now stand back because I'm going to act. Be encouraged this morning, church. Be encouraged this morning. He hasn't left you. He's not busy. He's not distracted. He's not busy with something. He's not mowing the yard. He hadn't gone off fishing. He's letting this process do its work in ways we can't understand. Right now, your job is Acts 3.19. Repent. Turn from your sins and fix your eyes on God, saying you are holy and other and awesome. Now what? And then hang on, baby, because he's going to do something in this generation that you had never dreamed. He's not busy. He's not distracted. He's not having to submit to the rules that are coming out of D.C. or any other government in the world. He is the Lord God, ruler of heaven and earth. And he, in the words of my grandchild, is about to do awesomeness, Papa. 
awesomeness. May the Lord Jesus expand all of our hearts and our faith to be equal to what God is trying to reveal to us, not just in this talk, but in this generation. May we repent. May we see the sin taken out of our lives like leaven out of the house of our Israelite forebears. And may God arise. How great is our God? Say it with me. How great is our God? How great is our God? How awesome is our God? He's about to arise in power because he owns all of this. He's not distracted. Be encouraged, church. God bless you.